Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome, everyone that's joining us online, too. Um, something going on today? Tell you the truth, I really don't care because I'm still in therapy. If you even mention 13 seconds, I start to weep uncontrollably, so I just... Well, we're glad to see each and every one of, you, one of you here this morning. Those of you who join us online, we're, um, we're in a series looking at uh, the, the book of Job. And uh, so what I've appreciated about studying the book of Job with you is that all of us can share one thing together and that we all go through difficult things in our life. Amen? We just, we just do. And, and it's, it's how we traverse through those difficult things in life. The book of Job is kind of the go-to book that you go to when you're going through something. Like if you're going through a trial, you're like, oh, I need to make sense of this. So then in panic, we go, like, what book am I going to read? And we go to the book of Job. Most people know who Job is. They understand his suffering and what he lost. But for you as your pastor, you may not be going through a real difficult trial in your life right now, but the way I want us to look at, at the book of Job is the way we look at God, his character, and his justice. That in the future, when we do go through something deep in our life, some trial in our life, that we can turn to the book of Job, and as we've studied the book of Job, it will be a foundation for us to know the character of God. It's very difficult when we go through a trial because the, the thing we normally attack or the thing we normally come against is the character of God. Like, does God care about me? Is God good? How can God allow, if God's a good God, how can he allow evil or how can he allow suffering or the wise in our lives? And what we've discovered in the book of Job is that Job is never given the answer. But what we see from chapter after chapter, there is this dialogue and discussion about the goodness and the justice of God. And Job will dialogue with his friends, and his friends will tell him, it must be something you have done wrong. So if you can just figure out what you have done wrong, then you can figure this out. And so there's this constant question about the justice of God and whether or not, you know, is God just in allowing all these things to happen. But it's interesting that Job has never revealed why he suffered. But Job will discover things. And what I appreciate about the book of Job is the rawness of his emotions, that he's all over the place. You can read one chapter of Job, and in two verses, you'll see Job kind of pouring his heart out and saying, God, I know that you're there for me. I know you will preserve me. And then in the next couple sentences, it's like he's in complete hopelessness. And you know what? That's our lives. Sometimes we'll feel like close to God. Have you ever gone through this where you just feel close to God and you feel like you're hearing from him? And then all of a sudden you go through something, you're like, God, where are you? You know, are you listening to me? Are you there? Do you care about me? And it isn't, isn't it interesting that at that point, I don't need some philosophical, intellectual answer. I just need God. And what God does for Job is he shows up to give Job his presence, to show him that he is there, and to truly understand the character of God. And so as we finish, I, I just, as we finish Job, I can't do any more weeks on Job because I'm emotionally spent on this. So, um, but, but as we finish today, I want to look at how can we suffer well? How can we allow the suffering and the, and the difficult things that we go through in our life, how can we understand God in a greater way? And I believe God can show that to us. So as we look at the person of, of Job, we see that he's a good man. 
He's a man of faith. He's a man that trusts God. He seems to be doing everything right with integrity. And then he loses everything. I mean, everything. And God allows him to go through this trial, this suffering. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. So what we see in 42 chapters of the book of Job, we're seeing chapter after chapter of Job trying to figure out what's going on and he's praying and he's arguing with his friends and he's just raw with God. His emotions are all over the place. But what he's doing is like what you and I do is we wrestle with the whys. Why is this happening? And I know all of us at one time or another will wrestle with the whys of life. And it's good for us to wrestle with the whys Because with the whys of life and why this is going on, it allows us to grow deeper and allows us to to try to understand the person and the character of God. In the middle of chapter, what I want to look at today, in the middle of this middle chapter in the book of Job, we see him expressing confusion and frustration with God. And we're going to be looking at Job, the first couple of seven verses in Job chapter 14. But he questions God. He's, he's going back and forth with God. Is God just? And his friends are telling him that he must have done something wrong. Is God still just and good and all his suffering? And so in, in chapter 14, we're just going to see this real honest look into Job's heart. And I want us to look at one place where Job comes to grips with the reality of his suffering and wants to see God and be in God's presence. So what Job does here in chapter 14, he reaches out to God in his pain and ultimately believes that God can save him. And what we're going to see is this raw heart of Job. And Job just expressing in one part his hopelessness and then reaching out to God's character and knowing that God is good. The best way for us to understand Job is to understand that this is wisdom literature. It's it's Hebrew poetry. It's, it's a beautifully written book. And it's included in the, in the Hebrew poetry books, such as Psalms and, and Proverbs. And what you see is when you read um, through Job, it's, it's a type of poetry that we're not kind of used to. We're, type of, we're, we're used to the poetry with, with the rhyme, you know, the words rhyme. But in this type of Hebrew poetry, it's more parallelism. Which basically, it's like if you look at a train track and you see two tracks going down a train, they're they're parallel, they're they're together. And here what we're going to see is we're going to see one line and then it's going to parallel another line. And and it's basically two ideas that are brought together. And that's the way most of Job is written, this type of Hebrew poetry. So it's a very beautifully written book. And I want you to see that as we read Job 14, this parallelism of having one idea contrasted to another idea. So let's look at Job's heart here and his expression to the Lord and his rawness before the Lord. So Job 14, you can turn to your Bibles or you got your devices or look up at the screens, but let's, I, I want to really dig into this. This chapter is so pivotal for us opening up the whole book of Job and understanding Job's heart here. It starts in verse 14 by saying, Job saying, uh, mortals born of women are a few days and full of trouble. Nobody knows the trouble, right? I mean, can I get an amen to that? I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's bringing it. He's bringing it. it. It gets better. So here he goes. They spring up like flowers and they wither away like fleeting shadows. They do not endure. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Pastor, why did I shovel my whole driveway to come and hear this? I just, I'm not feeling the spiritual doodads this morning. Pastor, I'm not feeling it, but it gets better. So let's remember, he's given out his feelings. He's raw. Do you fix your eyes on them 
Will you bring them before you for judgment? Who can bring what is pure from impure? No one. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So look away from him and let him alone till he is put in his time like a hired laborer. At least there's hope for a tree. I mean, Job's like saying, trees got it better than mere mortal men. He says, at least there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it will sprout up again, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of what? Look at the poetry. It's so good. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But man, but a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up or a riverbed becomes parched by dry, so he lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, people will not awake or be roused from their sleep. Now, we have to understand, let me put a pin here. We have to understand, Job does not have any understanding of the resurrection. He doesn't, he, he's just, he is feeling this emptiness and hopelessness as he's looking at his mortality and what he is going through. But I want you to see, because there's something very pivotal here. Look at verse 13. He says, If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set a time and then remember me. So in his knowledge that he has no idea, he's trusting something he doesn't have any idea about. He does something here that's incredible. And what he does in his hopelessness and looking at his mortality, he does something incredible here. Verse 14, I love it. If someone dies, will they live live again? Here's the question. If someone dies, will they live again? But listen to what he says. This is pivotal for the whole book right here, right here, right here in verse 14. He says, I will wait for my renewal to come. What is Job doing there? He's trusting something beyond what he knows. And what he's beginning to trust here in this verse is he'll go all over the place because you read the whole chapter, he is all over the place with his emotions and his doubt. But here he knows something. He says, I'm going to wait for your renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hand have made. See, what he does is he understands that God is his his creator. He's going to reach out to him. God is going to renew him. And listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag and you will cover over my sin. And all his doubt and uncertainty about the future, there is one thing that he does express here about his certainty, that God will renew him and that God is his creator and that God's presence will be there for him. See, is there something we can draw from to help us in our time or our doubt or our hurt? I want you to see that Job does what he does here in his hurt and confusion. And all his doubt, not knowing about the future, not, uh, about his mortality, all this stuff, what Job does is he calls out for God's presence. 
he calls out for his presence and he asks God to remember him. If I could tell you anything about what you're going through or your particular situations, and we all have our particular trials that we all go through, the one thing that God desires to give us more than anything else is his presence. I think so many times we want understanding. We want the answer to why. But God says, listen, what I want to give to you is something far greater than all that. I want to give you myself. And I want you to experience my presence. I heard a story of a pastor who, he just felt so, and I, and I, when I heard the story, I know exactly how he feels because I feel the same way, but he felt so inadequate when he would go to the hospital and have to deal with families that are going through a very difficult time because he felt the pressure to have to say the right word or say something spiritual or, or give the right answer to them or give the right scripture verse. And then he realized something. He realized it's not so much about the right scripture verse or saying the right thing or saying something really spiritual. He said the most important thing was just being there, being present. How many of you, when you've gone through a deep thing, do you remember anything anyone has ever said to you, realistically, or the scripture verse that they gave you? You don't, but you remember that they were there. You remember the person that showed up. You remember the person that took you out. You remember their presence. And sometimes sitting with someone is just enough. You see, God wanted to show Job, I am here, I am present. I'm going to sit with you through this. And it's interesting how we don't remember what people say in very difficult times, but we remember their presence. When you're hurting, when you face trial, when you're in the middle of it, you don't need necessarily a philosophical or intellectual answer. You just need someone to be there, to sit with you, to walk with you through it. Don't feel the pressure to feel like you have to have all the right answers when someone is going through a deep trial. Don't feel that pressure. Being there, being present is the most important thing. I remember people that were there for Kathleen and us, whether it was taking us out to dinner or just asking us how we were doing. So many times people, when you're going through a deep trial, they're so afraid to ask how you're doing. You know what? Many times I'll ask people permission, can I ask you how you're doing? How are you doing? Not trying to give them a bunch of advice or a bunch of wisdom, but just asking them, hey, how are you doing? What are you feeling? Just being there is so important. And so Job, in the midst of his just hopelessness at this time, reaches out to God and reaches out for his presence knowing that God would be there for him. And we need to know and understand that God does remember us, that he has done everything possible to reach us. See, that's the thing I love about Jesus, is that God comes to us in the incarnate form to live amongst us, to dwell amongst us, to go through everything that we've gone through yet without sin. He can sympathize with us. He can empathize with us. He understands. He dwelt among us. He lived among us. He understands everything that we go through. That's why he's such a perfect and faithful high priest. He's not someone that cannot sympathize with you or empathize with what you're going through. God came to us to have that relationship with us. We have such a perfect savior in every way. Listen to Job. He doesn't, he doesn't know about the resurrection yet. He knows God loves him and, and will save him and restore him. 
And so Job asked the question in verse 14, if someone dies, will they live again? And all the days uh, uh, of my hard service, will I, I will wait for my renewal to come. There's a trusting there. He said, you will long for the creature your hand has made. And surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag and you will cover over my sin. Let me give you a couple things here, just from these verses that are so important. Let me just give you two things here that Job was reminding himself. So as you go through that difficult thing in your life or whatever trial it may be, I, I, I want you to remind yourself of these couple things. Here's what Job reminded himself in the deepness of his pain and his wound. Job knew that God loved him and would not leave him destitute. He knew that he would not leave him destitute. You will call and I will answer you. You see, what Job needed more than anything else was God's presence. When you call, I will answer you. I know you will be there. Listen, can we just be all can we just be honest with ourselves this morning? When we're going through a deep pain, we feel alone, don't we? We feel like no one else understands. And here Job by faith just says, Listen, when you call, when you call, I will answer you. I, I don't feel your presence right now. I just don't. But I know you're not going to leave me. And I know you'll be there. So he knew that he loved him and they wouldn't leave him destitute. The second thing there is Job was, here's, 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 the, here's the whole thing of Job. If I can just give you an overarching view of the whole thing of Job, it's right here. It's right here. Job was trusting God's character over his pain. If, if I could give anything to you this morning, Because what happens is when we go through a trial, we doubt many times the character of God or the goodness of of God or why is God allowing me to go through this and is God mad at me? Is God upset with me? All, All these things. But what Job did here is he trusted his character. That's what God was giving Job. Job, let me give you myself. I'm not explaining why all these things are happening, but I'm going to give you myself. And I want you to trust my character over what you're going through. So the question is this, how do we work through our suffering? How do we work through those times of uncertainty? How do we work through them? Because we have something that Job didn't. Job didn't know the future. We have a Savior who conquered the grave for us. And I love this story that's found in the New Testament for us in John chapter 11 records it for us. And it's, a, it's an interaction between Martha and Jesus. And what, what happens in this, in this chapter is Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, has just died, and they, they call for Jesus to come, but Jesus delays in his coming, and he's already dead. He's in his grave clothes. And so what Martha does is she hears that Jesus is coming, so she leaves to meet Jesus on the way. And she's hurting. The mourners are already there. And like, Jesus, why didn't you show up? If, if only you'd have been here. And we know that Jesus comes, and he raises Lazarus from the dead and shows that he has the power over death. But I want to look at the dialogue that Jesus has with Martha, because this is the same type of dialogue that God is going to have and is is having with Job. And I want us to see something here. In John 11, 25 and 27, Jesus reacts to her as she comes. And Jesus says to her, Jesus isn't panicked. You know, she's panicked, but Jesus, Jesus isn't. And Jesus has this this dialogue with her. And Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he answers this question. He says, Martha, do you believe this? No, he's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't, listen to what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Martha, don't worry about it. I got it all under control. I've come now. In just a few moments, I'm going to go and I'm going to raise your, your brother from the dead. It's going to be cool. It's going to be all right. You know what? She probably said, oh, good. Okay. She, she would have believed it. I believe with all my heart she would have believed it. But Jesus doesn't say that to her right at this moment. Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, where is your faith? Is your faith more in the miracle or the miracle maker? That was a freebie, people. That should have got at least one amen, but that's okay. Uh, You're all tired from shoveling this morning. I get it. I'm I'm going to give you a pass there. Listen, here's the thing. What was Jesus doing with Martha here? Listen to what it says. Do you believe this? Not do you believe I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead in about, in in just a few hours. Do you believe? No. He asked her, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. What was Jesus doing there? He wanted her to trust him over what he was about to do. Track with me just for a moment here. Do we trust God's character over what he might and might not do. That's a tough one. Because what Jesus is doing for her is he's giving him herself. To her, he's saying, I'm giving you myself to you. That's more important than anything that's going to, and I can do all that. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, God, do I really trust your character? Can I trust that you are just? Can I trust that you are good even when things don't seem to work out the way I want them? Can I trust your character? Jesus says, do you believe in me? If you believe in me and you trust me and you trust in my resurrection and you trust that I'm the resurrection and the life, then whatever happens here on this earth will not rock you will not destroy you, will not upend you because you have a future hope knowing that I will restore all things. Now, Job and his finite thinking doesn't know this, but yet he's trusting the character of of God even through all the things he doesn't know. And for you and I, we know that Jesus has conquered the grave. That Jesus tells us, listen, I want to give you peace, but in this world, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to be difficult, but take heart. I've overcome this world. Do we trust the character of God over our situations? God is good and God is perfect and we can trust him. You see, one example that helps me tremendously is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's got the thorn in his flesh, prays three times. God doesn't remove it. What's up, God? Like, why don't you remove this thorn? We don't know what the thorn is and I'm glad we don't know because we can all relate to it. If we knew what the thorn was, then I don't know if it would completely relate to everything that we go through, but I think it's generalized to realize that there are things in our life that we don't understand or why things go the way they do or why this wasn't answered. But God answers Paul again, like Jesus answered Martha and how Job responds to God. This is so good. So in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10, Jesus answers him. God answers him. 
He says, here's the reason why. Are you ready? Here's the reason why. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, me, that's it? No, I want a better answer than that, than just your grace is sufficient. But listen to why God's grace is sufficient in every circumstance in your life. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul, it, it wasn't that God was saying, Paul, you're, getting, you're, you're cocky, you're, you're, you're getting, you know, you're, you're getting high on yourself and who you are. No, that wasn't the point. But he was keeping Paul humble because he saw these great revelations. And Paul says, to keep me humble before him, God says, you better rely on my grace for everything. And so here we see God doing something for Paul, like telling Paul, Paul, you rely on me over everything else. You rely on my grace. There's an endless supply of my grace that I will infuse in your life so that you can traverse through whatever you're going through. Not only that, you can glory in your weakness because my power is resting on you to help you to traverse with whatever you're going through. It gives us a completely different perspective of who God is and his character that actually the times in our life when we're suffering and we're not, fe- and we're not feeling like life is going our way, God says, but I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my grace to give you strength. And you're going to see my power in your life. Does that make it easier to make the, whatever we're going through that, you know, not, not difficult at all where I don't feel anything? Absolutely not. However, however, God gives us his presence and his grace to say, I am with you and I'll walk with you through this. And even in your weakness, I'll show myself strong. That's how much he loves us. It's not because God is mad and angry and and trying to humiliate us. It's because he wants us to experience his grace in a way that we would never experience it otherwise. And here's the reason why grace is so important. Because we we, we can't achieve God's grace in our strength or our performance. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. However, God in his mercy gives us his free grace. It's that unmerited favor. And God wants us to trust him and trust in nothing else. And it's through this grace he will give us the strength to endure. I mean, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, and I know there's been times in your life where you just feel so depleted that you thought, I can't even move forward. I'm so depleted right now, so emotionally drained right now that I can't even move forward. And then you experience God's grace, and you have that strength to keep moving forward. And you give all the glory to God because you're saying, God, it's only through your grace that I can move forward. And even if I'm weak and everything else would tell me to give up, I'm not giving up because I sense your presence in my life and I sense your grace and your goodness in my life that helps me to keep moving forward. You know, pastoring this church for, for 22 years, you walk, you know, walk through a lot of things with people. And I've walked with um, many of you through many difficult things. And um, one group of people that I really appreciate in our church is the widows and the widowers in our church. And many of you I walk through, have done funerals for, you, for your spouse. And um, 
I've seen how God's grace has helped you in tremendous difficulties in your lives, especially when you lost your spouse. In fact, we've got a, one of our small groups is mostly made up of, of widows. If you're a widower, that's a good group to go to. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Um, it's not just widows. There's other, um, there's other, my mom goes to that group and stuff. It's not just widows, but um, it's a great group of women. And what I've seen over the years of, uh, is how God has used these women tremendously and men in our church in the next season of their life, walking through tremendous pain of losing a spouse after many, many years. There's this one woman in our church. She never had children, but faithfully came to church and lost her husband some years back. And I I watched how God's grace has helped her. And she never thought she'd ever work with kids. She never had kids of her own. She never thought she'd work with kids. And now she's working with our kids on Wednesday night. And those are all her children. I've seen how God's grace has helped her and given her strength through a very difficult season in her life, but not giving up and saying, God, you can use me in this next season of my life. And we have these tremendous widows and widowers in our, in our church that God is using them in the next season of their life to do wonderful things from God. And I believe it's because of God's grace that's helping them to be used by God and not to give up. And that's such an encouragement to me to see how God has used you, many of you, through difficult things in your life. And the testimonies and the stories that I hear from you, I hear the same common thing. God is with me. God is with me. I do feel God's presence. He's the one that's given me strength. He's the one that's helped me move on. I'm grateful for the people in our our fellowship and our church that have come alongside me, that has helped me, that have prayed with me. That's God's presence. We need his presence. See, I want you to realize that grace is only part of, of, of God's character. It's also something he gives us to help us daily in our lives. There's that practical application of grace. We can draw near to God because Jesus has provided a way for us. And so that grace is available to us, to us each and every day. And so how do we encourage ourselves when we're going through a difficult time? How do we encourage ourselves and, and avail ourselves to that grace each and every day? Well, remind yourself of just, remind yourself of these two things. Just remind yourself of these two things. Remind yourself that you now stand in the grace of God through Christ Jesus and that you've been forgiven and that you've been healed and that we are children, adopted children of God. Through Christ Jesus, you now stand in that grace. That we are changed, that we are children of God. And so remind yourself of who you are in Christ Jesus. And secondly, remind yourself that God desires to give his practical grace that provides us with that strength to endure each and every day. That endless supply of his grace to give you power to move forward and to give you a hope that our ultimate future is in Christ Jesus, who will renew all things. In Christ Jesus, we now have the ability to boldly go before God and express our need before him. The Hebrew writer in in Hebrews chapter 4 just expresses this thought of who we are now in Christ and the ability that we have now to draw near to God. 
Hebrews 4.16 says, as the Hebrew writer says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our, how does he express our God? Gracious God. Our gracious God who is willing to pour out his mercy and his grace in a moment. It doesn't say our stingy God. It doesn't say our God if you deserve it, God. It says our gracious God, a God who says you don't deserve it, but because of my mercy and my grace, you come before me and you humble yourself. I will pour out my grace in your life. And there, and there, it's in that place of God's presence that you will receive mercy and you will find grace to help us when we need it the most. The, the, the word boldly there says to boldly go into his presence. Boldly means to come with this courage, knowing that God will not shame us or heap guilt on us. Now, there's only been a couple times I've been called into the principal's office. If ever you, I know all you are goody two-shoes and never got called in the principal's office. But a couple times. Sixth grade, I got called in the principal's office for tipping over a piano. And uh, uh, yeah, let me explain. Can I just explain what happened here? It was my friend Steve. He talked me into it, by the way. And Steve, the piano, you could move the piano around. And their teacher was late. And he says, wouldn't it be fun if I pushed you around the room on the piano? So I said, okay, that's a good idea. So I'm on top of the piano and the piano tipped over. So it was too heavy to lift up. So we all ran to our seats and the teacher came in. She said, what happened to the piano? Why is the piano tipped over? And everybody pointed at Steve and I. They just completely threw us under the bus. So we had to go to the principal's office. And I was so nervous because I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be on my permanent record. I got it. Boy, tips over piano. You can't graduate. And so I was nervous. You know, you're nervous because you feel you're going into the principal's office. But here, the picture that the Hebrew writer gives us is that we can boldly come into the presence of God, not with fear, not trembling, not feeling like God is going to strike us dead, but we humble ourselves and we come before him. It is there our gracious God wants to meet us and meet with you. And the reason we can do this is because Jesus took all our shame and guilt through his work on the cross. It's through Christ Jesus that we can boldly come to the throne room of God and pour out our needs before him, knowing that our gracious God will meet us in our most needy time. And what he will do, he will not stiff arm you. He will not kick you to the curb. He's not going to heap more condemnation. He's not going to say, I told you so. I knew you were coming back. When are you going to learn? Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't heap because Jesus already paid the penalty of our guilt and our shame because of our sin. So when I humble myself before God and I draw to his presence, it is in that presence that God pours out that mercy into my life and I can find strength and grace in my time of need. There was a a new song we learned um, last week and it's called Faithful Now and we're going to sing it in just a minute, but let me just read this to you as we just finish up here. The song says this, and there's just a couple lines here that I really like about this song. It says, you make mountains move. You make giants fall. Use the songs of praise to shake prison walls. And I will speak to my fear, and I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful then, and you'll be faithful now. See, the problem in our trials, it tends to cloud God's faithfulness in the past. 
And God wants to remind you, listen, I was faithful back here, and guess what? I'm going to be faithful now. I'll be with it might be different, but my grace is still there. My presence is still here. I'm still walking with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Nothing's going to separate you from my love, which is in my son Christ Jesus. I'm there, and it's so I, I'm speaking to myself. It's so easy for us to get clouded in our memory to get fogged because we're immersed in our problem now. And God wants to remind you, I was faithful back then and I'll be faithful now. You trust me. Trust my character over everything else. God wants you to move into his presence more than anything else. Job is never told why, but God spoke to Job directly. He spoke to him directly. In Job chapter 10, in all of Job's hurt and pain, Job says this one thing. He says this in verse 12. He said, you gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. He always gives us his unfailing love and our lives are preserved by his care. Listen, whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, never forget God's character and his unfailing love. He will walk with you through whatever you're going through because he was faithful then and he's going to be faithful now to you. Don't forget that. The one thing that God always wanted the Israelites never to forget was that I'm the one that delivered you through the Red Sea. I did that. You had the sea before you and the enemy behind you. You had no place to go. It was the miracle of me delivering you from slavery. And I brought you through. And I brought you to myself as a mother hen brings her chicks <laughs> under her care. I took you out of slavery and brought you in the wilderness to show you that I care. Don't ever forget that. You teach that to your children and your children's children and their children. And the reason why Israel messed up, and we see it in, in the book of Judges, is they stopped telling the stories of God's faithfulness in the past. Never forget that God is faithful. So the thing that we can understand about Job is this. We may not know the reasons why, but we know God is good. And we can trust his character. And he's faithful to stay by our side. And we have the knowledge that Jesus conquered all. And that God's purpose in our lives are always, he's working out all things for his good. For his good. So my question to you as we just close and as we just sing this last song and worship to him, because this is the end and I'm done. I'm emotionally spent. We're done in Job. But listen, here's the thing. God wants you to trust him more than anything else. Trust his character over whatever you're going through and he will be faithful to give you his grace to endure. And even in your weakness, he will show himself strong. That's the thing. Listen, I can give you, try to give you all the answers and blah, blah. But the thing that's going to help you endure is his presence and his faithfulness that he will never leave you that will help you to walk each and every day and not worry about next week or two months from now or two years from now. God, 
You are there with me every step of the way. Let me trust you and let me trust your grace that it's sufficient. Amen. Father God, as we just bow our hearts before you today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your character. And God, I I don't mean to minimize anybody's hurt or pain or things that they've gone through in the past. But Lord, I thank you that your presence is there for us. That Lord, you will renew all things. We know that. And our hope is in a risen Savior who conquered this world, who will eventually restore all things will take those things that are corrupted and will be will be put we will we will put out incorruption lord i thank you that that those things that we see the results of sin and death and dying lord we're going to be restored we're going to be restored god and i thank you for that so lord help us in the meanwhile to trust your character over everything else, that you are a trustworthy God and you are a just God and you are a good God. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving us or forsaking us. Nothing will ever separate us from your love, which is in your Son, Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you. And help us to rely on you more than anything else in this world. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' wonderful name, we ask all these things. We ask all these things. And all God's children said, Amen. Can we thank the Lord for His Word today and just express our joy to Him? God is worthy of it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing that song in close day. Just express your joy and your confidence to the Lord today as we sing it to Him. God bless you.